When I was a little girl, I was on the synchronized swim team, which many of you know. I have no pictures of that. Um, and so one of the things you had to do as a synchronized swimmer was hold your breath for a long time. And so during practice, we swam um, underwater laps where you'd swim the whole way underwater, take a rest on the side, and then swim the whole lap back again. I don't know how long we did that for a long time, though. But So one practice during the resting time on the side of the pool, I think I was about seven, I thought to myself, I was swimming by some older girls. Maybe they were in junior high or high school. And I thought, I, I'm going to explain to them what I think about when I'm swimming underwater. Because I bet they might be interested. <laughs> so I started to tell them. And one of the girls, um, even right while I was talking, said to the other girl right over the top of my head, she talks too much. <laughs> That was one of my first, I mean, it's funny now, but back then it was excruciatingly painful to me. It was one of my first experiences with shame about speaking, about my words. I, I even know her name now. I'm friends with her on Facebook. <laughs> but it reminded me that I think sometimes we, even we grown-ups, feel this way. Maybe even more than kids, we feel this way when we talk to God, when we pray. We don't feel good at it, whatever that means. We don't know what to say. Our words, when we try to talk to God, feel childish and silly. And we think we have to have a special prayer voice or say weird religious words that we'd never used to anyone else to try to get God's attention. We think maybe God doesn't listen to us or maybe we picture the father saying to the spirit, he talks too much. Or maybe the two of them saying, get a load of that lady. She doesn't even know how to pray. How pathetic. And we often end up feeling shame or guilt or insecurity about prayer. And so we don't pray. We just don't. But God doesn't want us to feel this way. He gives us permission to speak to him about anything and everything. Now, how do I know this? Well, I read the Psalms which is what our series is on. The Psalms are God's words to show us and to teach us how to pray. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who was martyred by the Nazis, puts it. He said this, and I have a slide. He said, the baby learns to speak by imitating the words of his or her parents. We do the same he says, by imitating or using the words of the Psalms, our Father's words. It is okay to echo them, to use them, to imitate them. As often as we need, we learn to speak by speaking our Father's words back to him. Isn't that beautiful? The Psalms, this Old Testament kind of a book, this collection of poems, help us have words when we don't have our own words. They show us what things we can bring to God, and the list is endless. So this morning, we're going to spend time in Psalm 25 today, and I hope that each one of us, when we leave, knows that, that we, each one of us has permission from God to speak to him about every part of our lives. And so what I want us to do this morning to start is to read parts of Psalm 25 aloud together. 
And the reason I want us to do that is because I want us to understand that for the Jews, uh, um, the Psalms were sung or they were read collectively as a congregation in the temple or the synagogue, as the people of God gathered. These were their hymns. This was their poetry. This was their liturgy. And so I want us to just read together Psalm 25, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 14 to 21. And they'll be on the screen, and we're just going to read these aloud together. Here we go. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. But according to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Thank you for doing that. Psalms were read collectively for the Jews to bring God's people together in worship. But through the centuries, they have also been used by human individuals as a, as a beautiful way to connect with God. And so that's going to be our focus for the rest of the time. And I want to talk about together three specific things that Psalm 25 gives us permission to speak to God for and to ask him for. And the first one of those things is trust. Now, there's something you should know about me in Psalm 25. This is my favorite psalm of all the psalms. It is my go-to scripture to start the day. It is the one place, and you can see a couple pictures. It is the one, this is one of my Bibles, and this is Psalm 25. And I have names of people that I've prayed for using the words of Psalm 25 and dates and then smiley faces and all these kinds of things. Don't look at it too close or you might see yourself in there as one of my enemies. I'm just kidding. Um, So you need to know this about me. Psalm 25 is my favorite, and I cannot count the number of times I have started my day with this couple of verses, verses 1 and 2. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. When I wake up, and I don't know what to say to God, and I don't know how to face my day, and I've got people and problems and circumstances that press in on me, when I have deep fears that I'm carrying and holding, 
When I sit down and I open up my Bible to Psalm 25 and I simply let these words flow out of my mouth, whether I believe them at that moment or not, when I do that, my whole day shifts. And I will very often just sit with those few verses in silence and I will eventually simply say to God, will you make those words true of me today? Help me to put my trust in you. See, so many of my bad choices, so much of my sin flows out of my failure to trust that God will provide for me. And when I fail to trust God, and this is true about all of you too, when we fail to trust God, we tend to get in trouble. I tend then to try to take control of people or situations and find my own way to get what I think I need. And see, one of the deepest and most profound choices that human beings have to make every day, every hour, and on certain days, every minute, is whether or not we are going to trust that God is with us and that he will give us what is best for us and what we need. Chuck and I have three grown kids, and if you have grown kids, you understand that they are no longer under your control. So the best I can do for them at this point in life is to pray for them. And this summer, one of my kids wanted something really badly. And so I set about to pray for her strongly. And immediately the answer was no. I mean, literally, I prayed in the morning and by 10 o'clock, the answer was no. (laughs) And I'm immediately struck with this thought. You have two choices here, Alice. One is to give up on God and to refuse to believe that he is for me because he didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to. And the other choice is to trust that God in some way I don't understand right now is going to come through in his way and in his time. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. The older I get, the more I realize how much courage it takes for a human being to put their trust in the goodness of God regardless of their circumstances. Trusting God is hard work. And so as I studied Psalm 25, these first verses, I noticed that David, who is the writer of this psalm, uses a very certain word as he talks about trust. He does not say, in you, Lord God, I accidentally trusted. Whoopsie daisies, I just woke up and I trusted in you. I just found myself trusting. No, he says, in you I put my trust. Now the word put signifies some kind of effort. You don't just put something somewhere for no reason. Well, I guess you do if you lose your keys, but go with me on this. You you put something somewhere with intentionality. You move it from one place to another place. And David is saying, I don't put my trust somewhere else. I choose to put it in God. The psalmist is giving us this very intentional picture of choosing To put his trust not in himself, not in his circumstances, not in something or someone else, but in God. And this takes work. And the more I thought about the words David used, you you have to understand my brain. But the image, as I thought about putting my trust in God, the image of a shot putter came into my mind. Don't put the pictures up yet. Have you ever seen shot putters? These are track athletes. This is an Olympic sport where they take a very small ball, which is called the shot. And it's actually quite heavy despite its small size, which is a little bit like all the things we worry about. 
and the, and the shot putters go to this great effort. They spin around a couple times and they throw the weight of that little ball with all their body weight and momentum to put that ball as far away from themselves as they can put it. They shot put that. And it takes effort and it is work and it is hard. And I looked up some pictures of people's faces as they throw the shot. I have seven or eight of them here. I'll just show them to you kind of quickly so you get a sense of how hard they're working. Look at this. Look at that. Her, both of them, men and women look kind of the same. That, I can't tell if that's a man or a woman. That's, a, that's my all-time favorite. Putting your trust in God is hard work. The very first thing Psalm 25 gives us permission to speak about is our need to put our trust in God. And I'm telling you from experience that if you start your day this way, these two little verses can change the trajectory of your day and your life. So we can talk to God about our need for trust. And we can talk to God also about the need to be delivered from shame to be delivered from shame. You see, the Psalms were written in very general terms. They contain very few specific details of the actual events that the writer of the Psalm is struggling with. And this generality, this kind of vagueness, is intentional. Because the Psalms were written to be used by other people, to be kind of all-purpose So that people like you and me in all other kinds of situations than David was in can adapt the psalm to be used to help us express our concerns to God. So I don't know what shame David is worried about here when he writes this psalm. Probably the shame of being defeated in battle. Or maybe being the the shame of being found out for his sin. But this is what he wrote in verse 2. He says, I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame. He uses that same word again and goes on in verse 3. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. And at the very end, we read this in verse 20. He says, guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. David is asking God to keep him from being put to shame. He wants God to help him avoid it. And David wrote those words about 3,000 years ago. But they are so accurate for us today, aren't they? Shame is something that just dogs the human race. Have you ever felt it? Shame, as one writer said, is a very heavy, hot-faced, painful feeling. It is the sense that we do not measure up to the person that we think we're supposed to be. Shame makes us feel unworthy of acceptance and of belonging. And it's that feeling that you have that if other people knew the truth about you, they would reject you. Now, there's a difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is looking at the sin. And shame is looking at yourself. And condemning yourself as fundamentally bad or inadequate or defective. Now, scripture kind of hooks those two things together right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Sin and shame. And the story of the fall after Adam and Eve sin against God by doing the one thing he asked them not to. 
the first thing they feel is shame. The Bible describes that as they try to cover themselves and hide from God. And this tendency runs now throughout the human race. Shame always pushes us toward trying to hide, especially from God. A few weeks ago, I'm telling this story. Tracy doesn't even know I'm telling it. She's right here, but this is what happened. We, I know she doesn't know. It's not about you. So we went to, we drove to Jordan Creek, Tracy and Will and I to do a little shopping and I bought too many sweaters. In fact, as I thought about it, I realized this is one of those sweaters that I'm wearing right now. They were on sale, but yet I bought too many. And then I came home and I ate too much pizza, not an entire Papa Murphy's like I ate that one time I told you about, but nonetheless too much. And I woke up about two in the morning, just hot faced with shame And the last thing I wanted to do in that moment was to talk to God about it. Can any of you relate to this? But he is the only one who can rescue me from shame. He is the only one. Guard my life and rescue me, David writes. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. He says, God is where I go to hide. I don't run from him when I feel shame. I go to hide in him. David is giving us permission to take all our failures. He's giving me permission to take all those things that make me feel shame that I'm not going to tell you about up here this morning. All those ways that I have to come face to face with the fact every day that I am a fallen, weak creature, susceptible to a 60% off sticker just like everybody else. I mean... Can I get a witness to this? I can take those to God for he is my only refuge from shame. David knew this and he did more in his life than buy a few extra sweaters, if you know what I mean, Bathsheba. <laughs> That's what he's writing about. So one one more quickie, quick thing about shame I want you to know because it's a tricky little thing. There's a woman named Brene Brown. She spoke last year or the year before at the Leadership Summit. And she studied shame her whole life. And she said this. she, She said, one reason shame is so powerful is its ability to make us feel alone. And I want you to know this, that shame loves to isolate. It loves to get people off by themselves, away from their community. And it loves to whisper worthlessness in our ears and cause irreparable damage. Kind of like those horrible nature shows where they show, say, a baby elephant. You know where I'm going with this. And the music is really nice and sweet. And you're all like, oh, baby elephant. Let's see what happens. And then somehow the little baby elephant like wanders away from its mom and away from the herd of elephants. And then the music goes dark. And then all of a sudden you like see a lion stalking up on the elephant. Do you know these shows? And you're just horrified. And then you know what happens? Like just bites the whole leg off the elephant. It gets devoured. Have you, has no one watched these shows? This is what happens when we get off by ourselves. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, enemy, the devil, who the Bible calls the accuser, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When we wander off by ourselves, when we wallow alone in our shame, we are weak and vulnerable. And grace is our only protection. Louis Giglio, who's going to speak at the summit this year, tweeted this. I'm on Twitter, so I read these tweets. 
He said this, and I love this. He says, the next time the enemy comes at you with shame and blame, tell him to go measure how far the east is from the west and get back to you. Bam! He's quoting Psalm 103 that says, as far as the east is from the west, which is so far you will never be able to measure it, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. We can bring our shame to God, and he, through grace, will keep us protected from it. So we can talk to God about our need for trust, our need for deliverance from shame, and the last thing we can talk to him about, at least that I'm going to talk about this morning, is rescue. David says in verse 15, My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Now, this kind of language, this image of being caught in a trap and needing someone to rescue you is all over the Psalms, all over the place. And I want you to think for just a minute about being caught in a trap. We at our house trap things. I mean, Chuck traps things in our old house. We trap mice. We trap the occasional ground squirrel. We trap bats that come in our bedroom. Well, we don't trap them. We actually do other things to them. There was an owl that landed in our fireplace once. That's a long story. If you've ever seen an animal, though, with its feet in a snare, rarely does it lie there quietly, right? Usually the animal flops around wildly, pulls and pulls. Even sometimes they try to gnaw their feet off. Isn't that just us? When we feel stuck and trapped by circumstances, or maybe a relationship failure, or by an illness, or a financial crisis, or church politics. When we are trapped at work, or trapped in our marriage, or trapped in depression, or stuck in habitual sin, or patterns like Carla talked about last week. When human beings feel stuck... We're desperate to be rescued like an animal in a trap. Rarely do we say, my eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. And yet that is what David is telling us to do. He's saying, when you are stuck, turn to God. Put your eyes on God. Ask him to release your feet from the snare. Now, will he promise to release your feet from the snare in one second? Will he promise to release your feet before it starts to hurt? Will he promise to release your feet and then you won't have any scars? No. But he still says, I am the only one who can release your feet. God longs for us to come to him when we are desperate, like an animal trapped in a snare. And instead of flailing around and flopping around and trying to get ourselves out by our own strength, the psalmist says, when you feel that way, fix your eyes on God. It reminds me of another psalm, Psalm 123, that gives this same picture. I just want to share it with you. And remember as I read it that it was written thousands of years ago when slavery was the norm. This is what the psalmist writes. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he gives us mercy. 
Look and look and look until God acts. I experience this every night at 5.30. When it's time for dinner for Stella, I have a picture of her. See that? Yeah, it's cute now. But that dog stares at me, stares and stares. She will not take her eyes from me because she knows I am the source of what she needs and desires and she will not look away until I give her what she needs. And that is the picture here. My eyes are fixed on God until he rescues me from this trap. We are given permission to do that and to pray for that. So if you are a person who needs to practice putting your trust off of yourself and into God, Psalm 25 is your psalm. If you are a person who needs God to protect you and to free you from shame, this is your psalm. If you feel stuck or trapped or like you're drowning or helpless and you need God to rescue you, this is your psalm. And so I pray that you, like a child, mimicking your parents' words, will use Psalm 25 this week and on into the rest of your life to help you pray for yourself, for people that you love, to pray for your church or your community, your country, and your world. And now I want to invite you to settle in for just a few minutes and to use the words of this song that Michael's going to sing almost as like a modern-day psalm. Let, let the words be the voice of God to you, inviting you to come to him with, with words or no words, just as you are. This is the invitation of the psalms. sadness from wherever you've been come broken hearted let a rescue begin come find your mercy oh sinner come kneel earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal So lay down your burden, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your shame. There's hope for the hopeless, all those who sleep, come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, rest that endures, earth has no sorrow that heaven can so lay down your 
his joy for the morning. O sinner, be still. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your words. invitation of the Psalms. God, you're so good to us, but you not only give us permission to speak, but you give us a whole section of the Bible filled with words, and you give us permission to borrow them, to use them, to pray them, so that we can lay down our burdens and lay down our shame. No matter how far we've wandered, we can use the Psalms as reminders that you are such a good and loving God that you say to us, just come home just come home to me now let us continue to worship you for your sheer unadulterated goodness to us amen i invite you to stand and continue to worship